I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Have you ever wanted to share your story and you just didn't know where to start? How about having tried to tell your story and the person listening just didn't give you a great response and you ended wishing you hadn't said anything? Well, this episode is going to be a great overview of different ways that you can tell your story, different elements you might want to include in your story for different audiences. And it also addresses the fact that there are some people who might not be safe to share your story with. It doesn't always mean that those people are terrible people. It could just be that they're not equipped to care for your story well. And as trauma survivors, church abuse survivors, we want to make sure that we're not stepping into situations that are going to leave us re-traumatized. Today's guest is Jennifer Wainscott. And that's a big part of what storytelling is. It's like story, telling stories and sharing stories like does something really different in our brains. And it gives us a very different emotional and physiological experience than merely sharing information. Jennifer is a licensed professional counselor in St. Louis, Missouri. She is also the creator and founder of St. Louis Storytell, where storytellers take the stage to share a true story from their life with an audience. Jennifer has worked with arts groups, ministries, nonprofits, and community support groups in addition to providing private story coaching. She believes that everyone has a story to tell. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden. Tears of Eden is a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. All guests on Uncertain are sharing their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the views of Tears of Eden. On the Tears website, we feature book reviews, podcast recommendations, and survivor stories. So if you are a survivor of abuse from a church community or are interested in learning more about this subject, I encourage you to check it out. We are also open to submissions from all of you, so if you have a resource you'd like to review or a story of spiritual abuse you'd like to share, please consider sending it to us at tearsofeden.org at gmail.com. Here is my interview with Jennifer Wainscott. Well, thanks for wanting to do this. I had like two or three people like, you should talk to, you should talk to her because I interview artists on here on purpose because of just, there's like one facet that's just like exposing abuse and pointing it out and addressing it and raising awareness and educating people. But then there's this other part that's like, where do we go next? Where is the hope? What are we looking towards? And that's what art, where artists come in. And so I wanted to just chat with you because I love the story stuff that you're doing. Well, first it's like so flattering that you would say I'm an artist because really it's more like I am like a curator of artists. But maybe. So that's what I do with the podcast. So yeah, yeah, it's artistic. It is artistic. If not directly being an artist. Yeah. So the, the organization that I, that I do it through is St. Louis Storytell. And it's essentially maybe best described as like short form nonfiction storytelling. So, so similar to other organizations like the moth or, well, there are several, but the moth is probably the most famous where folks are getting up and they're telling like a story from their life in front of an audience. And it's, it's a true story from their life. And we do workshop with folks in advance um, which I was thinking about that, like in, as I was like thinking about talking with you about this and even how like workshopping came to be, had to do with like, just, just noticing areas for abuse and how to like contain and try to prevent. So we, we worked on, yeah. So 
we used to do this event series just in my backyard, like years ago when we first got started and it was a little less formal, but still like a public gathering. Like people could just come, people would just bring their friends. By no means was it something that was private, only me and my friends huddled around my living room sort of thing. And we had this great deck that worked at the stage. And for a while, I just sort of opened it up for, hey, if anybody has a story to tell, just kind of tell me like what the summary of it is and and here's your time limit. And I'm not going to like really force you to stay within that time limit or anything. Just, you know, do your best. And wasn't, the goal wasn't to have like incredibly great performances. It was just to give people a chance to tell stories because everybody has a story. And there was an incident. There were, there were a couple of maybe smaller ones, but then one in particular where after a while I, I offered like some workshops if people wanted them, just like if they were struggling to think things through or if they felt stuck, but it wasn't a mandatory thing. And then I had workshop over email with a particular storyteller at one of these events and thought that this could be a potentially tough story. But after we workshopped it, I was like, okay, this, this is going to be a little bit heavy, but like going to be a pretty good story. And this storyteller got up there and, and just absolutely, well, one did nothing that we workshopped via email over, <laughs> disregarded oh. it completely. And, and essentially like verbally abused the audience and, and, so, and went on a really like vicious kind of tirade toward them. Goodness. And, and it became like very much not even like a story format. It was just sort of like almost this person essay form talking about the deep pain in their life and the deep abuse that they had suffered, which was really valid. Like this person had really been traumatized and had gone through a, a great ordeal, but just the way that it came out on stage was, was very like, Oh, this is, this is not only like trauma dumping on the audience, but it was, it was mm-hmm. a bit of a, a verbal attack. And so after that, it was like, okay, everybody workshops, everyone's going to work. Everybody workshops, no matter what, like this is not only going to help improve people's confidence and maybe the quality of their stories, but also function as a bit of a screening process as well. And since we've started workshopping with everybody, every time we haven't had that issue again, we've had like smaller things come up from time to time, but nothing, but they come up in the workshop. They come up in the workshop and we're able to either deal with it there or just say like, Hey, this is probably not the best format for, Mm -hmm. for sharing this. and, And here's why. So yeah, that has not happened since then, but it was pretty alarming when it did. Right. It was like, it was like seeing that and seeing like, oh, there was way more underneath the surface, sort of iceberg style, Mm -hmm. way more underneath the surface of the water than anticipated. And really it was like, okay, so not only do we want to screen in terms of like how we can care for storytellers, but also how we can care for the audience as well. And so that was something that it's like, okay, this is this is really on our radar now. Right. What is, what's the workshop part look like? What are you, what are the things that you try to pull out? Yeah. So generally when someone comes to us, they have a story in mind. Occasionally they'll have like a couple of stories or, or a semblance of a story, but usually they have a story in mind because there's a theme for each event. Mm-hmm. And so if the theme is like all in the family, they'll be like, Oh, I have a story about family. So they'll come to us with their story or the summary of their story. And they'll either meet with me or another one of our creative team members 
And generally it's like everybody workshops for at least like one hour. And then we open it up as like a follow-up workshop, like a few days or a couple of weeks later. And so that workshop process usually looks like, okay, tell, sort of tell me what you got. Let's just, let's just go through it and see what's happening. And then sussing out like, okay, what, what about this story like feels important to tell the audience? Like, mm. What do you hope the audience walks away from? How, how did like what happened in this story impact you or change you? Mm-hmm. Like what was it that was going on there? There's also a sense of like, I, as a workshopper, I'm also listening for certain things. So I'm listening for things like what's not being said. I'm listening for where, where's the emotional experience? What's the emotional arc of the story? If I'm listening with an audience member's ears, what are the things the storyteller is assuming that I know that maybe I don't, maybe I don't have context for that, stuff like that. And and sort of helping them think through some of those questions and then shaping their story to fit within the timeframe. They don't memorize their story, right? They just some of them do. We, we yeah. don't tell them that they have to. Some people will memorize it because they feel more comfortable having it memorized word for word once they get up there. We do ask that they don't bring like notes up with mm-hmm. them if, if they can help it. It, it makes for a, a better connection with the audience so that they're not connecting with a piece of paper. They're connecting with like the people. So some people will memorize it. Most people will not memorize it, but they'll become familiar enough with it that they'll they'll memorize for like the main points or the main things that they want to say and like the turns in the story and then the rest of it will flow out from there yeah so like kind of like main themes and then they kind of fill in the rest as they're like telling the story so when you were talking about the way that you workshopped it you were saying that you were listening what's not being said you were listening for like the emotional arc of the story what what are the things that they're assuming from the audience was is any of that coming from your therapist background I think a ton of it is coming from my therapist background I think well you know it's funny I yes and I think I had a story background before I had a therapist background so I think my therapy is informed by people's stories and how to listen to stories and how stories change us and can, can help us tune in with the world and each other and our bodies. But definitely there's a sense in which it's like my, my therapy also informs story building. So I think they just dovetail really nicely together. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like a very easy and natural pairing because when you're telling a story especially if it's one that either you have thought about a lot or you maybe have talked about a lot there can be a lot of things that just get assumed that that might actually be best if they were not being assumed Mm. Mm -hmm. which also happens like in therapy (laughs) so yeah I think they definitely there's a lot of overlap there and I I think genuinely like what the other two creative team members that we have at present which we've had a few different ones one of them is currently working as a therapist and the other one is married to a therapist and so it's like it's definitely informed by that would you say it's because I mean this is how it's like connecting in my brain so like the work that I do with trauma survivors abuse survivors and then there's my artist work of writing and writing fiction there's no stretch for me like they're connected like 
hundred percent, but it's crazy how often I have to make that connection for people of like, there's just something so human in like both realms. Yes. And, and yes. when you're in this, like, you know, shit with people and then you're, mm-hmm. you know, tapping into this creative side, like it's, you're, you're in this very human space. And, and they feel so similar. I don't know. There's just like, there's Mm -hmm. such a similarity in both of those spaces. Yeah. Yeah, So I would love to hear just your take on that in terms of like how that story stuff integrates with Mm -hmm. this very human work of being a therapist. I mean, it's, it's, there's, it's really hard to even, it would almost be easier to say like, where does it not integrate? Where does it not overlap? (laughs) Because there is so much overlap. And you're so right. So but much then of it we is can't assume that like... our audience does that because so many people ask me when I started interviewing artists on the podcast, mm-hmm. they're like, what? I was like, oh, it, it connects like no, yes. no problem for me, but I had to explain Don't it. Don't you see so the matrix in my mind? <laughs> yeah. But I've had to yeah. explain it so often, but yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe starting with, you know, where does it not connect? Mm-hmm. Sure. Where does it not connect? I mean, there, there's a sense in which it's like, what I'm doing in the therapy room is different than what I'm doing in a story workshop. Like there there really are differences there. And in a story workshop, I am not trying to be that person's therapist. So there are certain like boundaries, both verbal, emotional, time oriented boundaries that are going to be a little bit different than like in a therapy context. But so like one way that I, think about stories in both the therapeutic context and non-therapeutic context, just the, the entertaining context actually comes from, do, do you know the author Neil Gaiman? I have heard name a book. What's he, a book. So yeah, he writes a lot of like fantasy and sci-fi and has done lots of different mediums <laughs> from like novels to graphic novels to movies, etc. And one of the way he, in one of his collections of short stories in the intro, he talks about how stories can be like maps and the more accurate the map is to the land, like actually at, at some point it becomes useless. So it's like a map is really, really important. Like a globe would actually be a more accurate representation mm. of a map. And then it's like the bigger the scale, the more close to real life, the more accurate it is. But eventually you get so big that the map is the same size as the space. Mm. And it's perfectly accurate and perfectly useless. And so that's one way that we can like use stories in terms of being, it can be a map for us and it can kind of set out, all right, what is the territory we're working with? What can we see? What looks familiar? what's uncharted, whereas like the, our actual lives are like the territory that we're mapping and our relationships in the territory that we're mapping. So stories can really help us think through how to navigate our life, how to navigate our relationships, how to navigate our thoughts, our emotions in ways that would be really difficult if we didn't have that map. It would mm-hmm. feel like we were kind of fumbling around a lot. And so that, that's an area where it's like, we do lean into that in the, in the story workshops and in, you know, my therapy office, but the, the work that I do in therapy, it includes and is always related to story, but it can often really do different things and go into like more specific targeted types of healing um, that, that have like roots in a person's story. 
Whereas doing a story workshop, like the purpose of it is to help you think through your story and then share it with an audience. Mm -hmm. In therapy, you're never necessarily sharing it like with some other person, like even not necessarily your therapist, although you Mm -hmm. usually are sharing your story with your therapist, but sometimes Mm -hmm. that's too painful. So it's like, we'll kind of work around it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the, the point of a storytelling workshop and event is to share it with the audience. Mm-hmm. And so really taking that in mind and thinking through, okay, knowing that this is the purpose of this particular type of story, how do we actually take into account, like, what is your relationship with the audience? What are your expectations for how the audience will engage with your story? Are you hoping the audience will respond in any particular way? And is that an expectation that the audience can actually hold up? Mm. And so really taking that into account, because I think that the audience like performer relationship is a really fascinating and like cool area of like relational dynamics. Right. Um, and that shows up really differently in like a therapy setting. But yeah, sure. there, there, so there's a lot, all that to say, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. And as I'm like thinking of your mm-hmm. map analogy or Neil Gaiman's map analogy, the classic, in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you are. Like you have to be aware of where you are and to know yeah. where you are, you kind of have to know where you've been. And that is, yeah. that's the story. Like that is story mm-hmm. beginning, middle, end, like how, how yeah, it happened absolutely. and totally, yeah, totally makes sense for just the, like the trauma healing realm or the just healing in general of like, if I want to move forward, if I want to, you know, progress in healing I have to be aware of where I am right now and in order to do that I kind of gotta know what happened back there so yeah how have you seen just story help with the healing process and help with trauma it's awesome I I am not someone who holds the position that merely telling your story does all the healing work But I do think telling your story, even if it is just to yourself, although hopefully it is not just to yourself, is necessary for doing the healing work. Because it's not only like, yeah, telling telling our story of like, this is this this is what happened to me. This is my experience. This is where I've been. These are some of the factors that shaped me. Um, that all has to be like, there has to be an awareness of that in order to figure out like where the healing needs to take place. Mm -hmm. Sort of like sussing out you know, if I go to a doctor's office, like I got to figure out what's where, where, where are my wounds before they like try to treat me. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if I show up and I'm like, I don't know, I just feel bad. Mm -hmm. Fix me. Mm -hmm. And if the doctor said, okay, and did not explore potential wounds like that, that would be really unhelpful. Right. And unethical. And so using story for folks is, is a really special way to reflect back and also kind of sets the stage to think through like the future trajectory and what does this mean for the person mm-hmm. I'm continuing to be? What does this mean for my relationships? And um, we, we've had storytellers who have gone through the workshopping process and have come out with really excellent stories and, and have chosen, and I've agreed with them, chosen not to get up on stage and share their story mm-hmm. because they're just in a place where they're, they're not able to do that and not able to access it because in sort of thinking through their story, 
and thinking about it in a different way and coming up with it. It's like, oh, this actually is revealing some things to me that, that I didn't realize were connected. Ooh. And, and I'm having an experience as I go through my story and I've got to sort out and get familiar and really go all the way through that experience before I can bring that experience to other people. Because when you tell a story, like it's not just you that's experiencing the story, whoever's listening to some degree will experience it as well. Yeah. And so that's, that's always like a special part of thinking through like, yeah, how does your experience translate to the audience? I'm thinking of this to like you had mentioned trauma dumping at the beginning and how this person like verbally abused other people. And mm-hmm. as I, as we're, you know, at the beginning of tears of Eden and we're moving like super slow with the community part, mm-hmm. because I've witnessed all that trauma getting packed into one place yeah. and people mm-hmm. just burning out and just like mm-hmm. fizzling out. And like, I can't be here. Yeah, that's I too real. I can't experience it. Yeah. And it's just like, and so what would you say just like from the storytelling workshop perspective and the therapist perspective of just like, what might be the key elements that someone needs to focus on when they're communicating and other people are listening, especially like, like a, with a trauma story, a story yeah. of like abuse. Um, have you had a really great stories? question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have. And, and it's funny. Cause it's like a lot of our stories are, are up online now, but not all of them. We only started recording a few years ago. And so there's plenty of stories that are up there that, or that got performed that were never recorded or got recorded and the person requested that we not post them. So, so we have had some stories that involve abuse to one degree or another. And I think it's not only about this, but I think a really big part that folks can be aware of is like, it all comes back to like expectations Mm -hmm. in a way. And I think on the end of somebody who is going into a group like that or trying to lead a group, the expectation that like there will be some trauma dumping, there will be some other forms of like inappropriate sharing. Like that's sort of inevitable because trauma is really messy. And even folks who have done a lot of hard work in terms of healing, um, and sorting through their trauma and coming to terms with it. Like trauma is just messy. Mm-hmm. So in part, the expectation that like, no matter how well prepared each person is to some degree, that's still going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through, okay, how do we handle it when it does? And for the participants, which this is something that I, I talk about with storytellers when they think about sharing with an audience is in sharing this story, like the, the audience has a role of like responding to your story and like, they're going to sit there and hold your story, but it's actually not their job to care for you. Mm -hmm. Like, like if you happen to receive care from the audience or like enthusiasm, encouragement, et cetera, like that's awesome. And Mm -hmm. generally we've had really compassionate and encouraging audiences, but thinking through like, what are, what are the roles there? And are we expecting, or am I expecting someone to be able to provide care for me when they are not equipped? Mm -hmm. And then if I, if I have that expectation, whether I realized or not, which 
so often we don't know our expectations to where not met. If, if I put that on somebody and they're actually not equipped to care for me, mm-hmm. or if actually their heart is not for me, then that's going to result in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through how to balance the fact of like, my, my story needs care. I need care. And not each person that I'm coming into contact with is going to be equipped and able to like care for me in the way that I need. And how do I, how do I handle that? How do I navigate that? Mm. And I think that's true for a lot of therapy groups. And, and that's not even like, it's just not wrong to need care. (laughs) Like that's actually a really wonderful and important thing Mm -hmm. that every human needs and, and particularly trauma survivors, but helping trauma survivors be set up for more success. So they're not re-traumatized by, by offering up their trauma, offering up their story and then, and then having it uncared for, mm-hmm. not even always out of like maliciousness or, or wickedness, mm-hmm. but sometimes just out of like that, that's not what these receivers can really offer you. Cause that can for not, not always, but for a lot of folks that can lead to a re-traumatization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's sort of what happened with that storyteller I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation was like, like, like that storyteller is really hurting mm-hmm. actually. And like, it is really understandable how they got to the point where it was just like exploding out of them, mm-hmm. like volcano style. And actually, even though it was really understandable and really reasonable, it, it did not further their healing to share their story in that particular space. Mm-hmm. Like that space was not equipped to care well for their story. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of the things that we had talked about in their workshop that they, that they chose to go a different way with. Mm -hmm. And so I think thinking through like, yeah, how can we to the best of our ability set up expectations in a way that foster healing rather than foster disclosure and then the dropping of someone's story. Yeah. Um, And I like, I like the way that you phrase that of like you might encounter someone that might not be equipped to care for your story. And I think that that kind of allows a little bit of release because I think in like a church space or a group, you know, space where everyone has experienced Mm -hmm. the same type of trauma, if you expect people to be able to care for you and then they're not, like you were saying, that can lead to a lot of pain But if you recognize there are some people who are not equipped to handle my story or to care for me and to care for my story, I don't have to share it with everyone. You don't owe anybody your story. Yeah. I can choose who gets access to my story Mm -hmm. and what parts. And it might be church people that don't have access to my story. It might be family mm-hmm. members who don't have access to my story and, yeah. and not sharing certain parts of your story is not inauthentic. It's mm-hmm. care both for yourself and for yes. someone else yes. and can be. And, and it's not, and it's not, it can really, I think it can sometimes because a lot of, this is not all trauma survivors, but a lot of trauma survivors are, are very sensitive to like any potential threat of rejection because of, of their own stories, but the assumption that like somebody can't care for your story can sometimes feel like rejection. 
very but true. that's actually not what's happening. Like it actually doesn't even necessarily mean that person doesn't care. They might be empathetic. They might be compassionate. Also, they might not be, they might mm -hmm. be an ass, but giving them the benefit of the doubt saying like they care, they have empathy and compassion doesn't necessarily mean that they're equipped. Mm -hmm. And so it is okay to limit the sharing. It doesn't mean your story is not worth being told. It doesn't mean that your story is, is somehow like wrong for coming out or that it should be secret and like hidden and whatever oh else. It, it just means like take your story to the place where it's going to be cared for lest like you do your own lack of care for your story. Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes be like a tricky thing to wrestle with. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm wrestling with that some in the past like couple years as I've gone more public with my story and pu and putting it in a public space. So I I don't get to pick my audience here. <laughs> yeah. Anyone has mm -hmm. access to it. And being and and navigating how and it kind of really comes down for me it, to like what is going to be helpful for me to share. And then what yes. is also going to be helpful for someone who's gone through something similar to here, that's, that's the sweet yes. spot. Like that's where mm -hmm. I'm going. I'm not trying to get revenge. I'm not trying to smear anyone. I'm not trying, even in telling my own story, I'm not even trying to educate. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm what's helpful for me to yeah. share. What's helpful for someone who went, hit, went through this and then mm -hmm. recognizing that's my audience. Other people have access to it, but their words don't matter when, yeah. when they comment, when they, you yeah. know, tell me I'm airing dirty mm -hmm. laundry or whatever, like they're yeah. not my audience. That's not who mm -hmm. it's for, which is different than, you know, like a storytelling in space, but then that also still is a public mm -hmm. audience yeah. and you don't get to pick who's going to be there yeah. and, <laughs> and you don't get to pick and you can, and that's part of like, what we talk about is like, again, expert, what are your expectations for the audience? And again, generally, like we've never had anybody like heckle or anybody like come after any of our storytellers later and be like, you shouldn't tell that story. It's like always a very like supportive environment, which is like such a gift and not always accessible to everybody who is telling a story. But yeah, if you, if you can't choose your audience, it does mean that you have to have a conversation with yourself about what you're comfortable sharing knowing you're not mm -hmm. sure where it's going to land and knowing that it might land in some unkind places and thinking through how you want to navigate that and handle that and buffer yourself with that. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, that happens. It does. And, and not everyone wants to share their story publicly as we've been, as we've been discussing. You may already know this, but the uncertain podcast is the affiliate podcast of tears of Eden a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. I would love to kind of hear just like maybe some, and even if you want to just like think of a story that you've workshopped of mm -hmm. just for people who are listening, 
when they're considering like, what are the elements that I want to include in this story? What's the, Mm. what are the questions I need to ask myself? What are, you know, say they're Mm -hmm. wanting to start sharing their story. And yeah, a lot of people do this. They start first sharing sharing their story on like Instagram or something. What Mm -hmm. are, yeah. What are questions that people can be asking themselves as they're sharing their own story? Yeah, I think, I think some good questions are ones like, why do I, why do I feel compelled? to share the story, what sort of response might I find myself hoping to get from this? Which it's like not wrong to hope for a particular response. It's just like noticing mm-hmm. and using that as information. What, what will it be like if I don't get a response hmm. or if I get a negative response? Who are, who are the other characters or players in this story? And are, is it such a story that I need to either like give them a heads up when I'm telling it or ask their permission or whatever. And and some of that depends on like details and Mm -hmm. stuff and and how personal it is and thinking through how did the events of this story impact me and how will telling this story impact me And, and always like, yeah, who's, who's my audience or who do I hope for my audience to be? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can be, have had like three different thoughts come into my head. It's the same moment. And then there, there was it. like this brain freeze. I don't know if that ever happens to you or it's like, oh, there's so much going on. And it's yes. like, you, you try and like jam something into a funnel and it gets stuck at the neck. Yes. That's what just happened. And then me. you lose um, all of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, like, and also thinking through, how, how will this story be better communicated in story form rather than in fact sharing or mm. some other sort of way? Mm-hmm. So, and that's a big part of what storytelling is. It's like story telling stories and sharing stories, like does something really different in our brains. And it gives us a very different emotional and physiological experience than merely sharing information. Tell me um, the difference because when people are telling stories in your story workshop, they're telling a true story. So what makes yeah. it different than sharing yeah. facts? Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you an example and it'll be an example related to spiritual abuse since that's, that's our, our, our home base here. Um, anti-spiritual abuse is our home base. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, um, Gina, who's on the board therapist on the board. She always <laughs> corrects me. I was like, we work in spiritual abuse recovery. She's like recovery. Yeah. yeah. Spiritual abuse recovery, <laughs> which like, I mean, I don't know anybody who like, it's like, I don't know. I mean, if you talk to somebody who's like, Oh, I specialize in like my area of study is like domestic abuse. It's like, I'm not going to think, Oh, they're planning exactly. on being a domestic abuser, but like, exactly. it is like language does matter. So, so, okay. Let me give you more of like a factual sharing of information and, and then I'll tell you the story. Okay. So, so the sharing of information is like, like I went to a youth group in high school that was like with a pretty big church. And when they were like in between youth leaders, they had like some youth interns preaching. And there was like one youth intern that like got up and preached something about standing up for Jesus or like being bold for Christianity or something like that. And like, he did it just with a really like weird and inappropriate, like demonstration that was very confusing and like left a lot of us traumatized. So that's just my factual sharing. And, and that alone is like, not bad, right? Like that is a helpful, informative 
and in some ways gives you some idea of what the experience was. And is appropriate for a certain audience. And is appropriate for a certain, is is appropriate for a lot of audiences. And it's great. So the story version of that is like, I was 17. I was a junior. I'd only been at this private Christian school for one year. And it was connected to a large non-denominational charismatic church. And the youth group was also really big. And there was one youth group where this team of interns who is like in charge of youth worship and leadership had us all sit down after we were like, you know, singing songs and the, the, like the lights came back up and the like mood music quieted. And this main intern who was probably looking back, he was probably no more than 20, but in my mind, he was so much older, very passionate in his speaking, you know, speaking. And he, he started talking and preaching about something along the lines of how this generation was so ashamed and fearful and weak and not willing to like stand up for Christianity and be bold for Christ. Um, And we were so ashamed of the gospel and just uh, other stuff along those lines. And at one point, about 10 minutes or so into just laying into these high schoolers, he, he waved to a couple of the other interns, two female interns who were standing over the side of the stage. And they, they popped back behind the curtain and then they rolled out what I think was essentially a clothing rack. So wheels on the bottom, vertical poles, and then a pole atop across with a second horizontal pole, maybe, maybe a foot underneath that had been attached. And on the top pole were like shower curtain rings that could slide back and forth across the pole. And to each shower curtain ring was attached a string and attached to each string was the tail of a live mouse. And the live mice were scuttling back and forth across the bottom pole with their hook, their shower curtain hook sliding back and forth across the top. And each mouse was, was scrambling because it was really difficult for these mice to keep their balance and their footing on this narrow round surface of this bottom pole. And we all kind of stared at it for, for, it felt like a long time. And we watched these mice scurrying back and forth and we could, we could hear their squeaks. And I was not close to the front. And at, even as many rows back as I was, I could still hear the squeaks of these mice. And this intern who was in front, who was in charge that day, started, started back to preaching. And he started kind of going over and over and over of like, who, who, who will stand up for Christ? Who is bold enough? Who is brave enough? And it was this confusing thing of, are, are, we, are we talking about standing up for Christ? Are you actually asking us to stand up right now? Because we're all, we're all sitting down, but this is not like, you're not directly telling this to us. You're just sort of loudly shouting to the general universe about who is bold enough to stand up in the name of Christ. All the meanwhile to the side and just behind him, these mice are scurrying back and forth with these strings attached to their tails. 
And then one of them, I slipped and started dangling and swaying and his squeaks got louder. And the agitation in the audience, as if you couldn't imagine how high it was before, began to rise even more. So, so not only were, at first we're furtively looking back and forth at each other, kind of secretly, and now we are openly looking around, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And then a second mouse falls, and the second mouse starts dangling and swaying and squeaking. And finally, a couple of girls who were in the grade above me, they they had gone to the school, so they happened to have their backpacks on them because it was the, the end of this, it was like a Wednesday night. And one of them happened to have a pair of scissors in her bag. Most of us either didn't have our backpacks with us or, or we didn't have anything, even, even a thought or a clue of what to do in that moment, except be paralyzed and terrified. And finally, two of these senior girls in a fit of what I would call like polite rage, two of them got up and went and just started cutting the mice down from their strings to, to take them down. And, and there was this incredible ambivalence in me that happened in that moment, but like this huge wave of relief for the mice. And also this really confusing thing of like, and these two are going like against this authority figure who is the person who strung the mice up. Whoa. So, so let me just pause right there. I was maybe a little longer than I necessarily wanted it to be. That's the story version right. of what happened. And it's like, even for you listening and, you know, who knows who else to listen to this, like if you are at all, even one person in tune with any of your emotions or your body's experiences, what happened to you that second telling is very different than what happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just like share like what was happening. I'm sure other people are experiencing their own emotions yeah. too. But oh, yeah. you shared like one thing that was facts and, and, and maybe could have shared like a few more facts that would have been equal to the story that would have also raised some, okay, this is concerning something. This shouldn't yeah. have happened situation, but there was a lot of filling in the blank. We didn't mm-hmm. really have characters like we're not, you didn't name any characters, but we didn't have characters. We had some, we had a crowd, we had people, but we didn't have like a characters, but in the second telling there's characters, there's a setting, there's plot, there's definitely emotion. There's definitely build. There's definitely Mm -hmm. complexity and yeah, you're going to experience like a whole, or I did, I experienced like a whole different um, set of emotions in that mm-hmm. telling, but I was also more connected to the story mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. In that telling that was perfect. It was exactly, exactly <laughs> perfect example um, of one <laughs> versus the other. And depending on the audience, they're both the same. They're both mm-hmm. true. One is appropriate depending on the audience, because I really want to know how did the story end? <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Man. What was that? Was that, was the mice thing? What was it's like? What was that my, my, yeah. My memory only has like a little bit more because, because the, the way it ends in my memory is like with my own personal, like incredible sense of confusion because ah. the, this like bombastic intern who is preaching, like 
once he saw that the girls were cutting the mice down, he, he kind of like pivoted and started being like, yes, yes. Someone was brave enough to stand up against me. But like in this, in this way that was like, I, 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 as a 17 year old could not tell if he was just trying to cover and roll with what was happening on stage. So it didn't look like he was like being defied or if that was like something that he really wanted in a twisted way. Like did he really want someone to be bold enough to stand up against the authority when they felt like they weren't like, but in this really sick way. So, so 17 year old me was like, could not figure out what it was, but just knew that like, it was wrong. Right. But, but like, it was not even, even though my gut told me it was wrong. As soon as I saw the mice get wheeled out, the, the level of confusion that was there and the level of like acceptance from the other interns, like, so made me start questioning my own sense of like, is this okay or not? Oh, absolutely. Like they seem on board with this. So is this, no, and I was like thinking of the other interns, like they, they enabled this to happen, like Mm -hmm. totally enabled it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Mm -hmm. everyone else is caught in bystander syndrome of like, what the fuck is going on? But I don't know what to do. the, Um, The widest eyes, the most confused and frightened faces. Yes. The sense of like, just being frozen. Absolutely. There was a lot happening in that story for sure. And so he never clarified what the, what the point of the mice on the pole is. No, no. I can't even, I can't, even at, at least not to my memory. Maybe he did. And maybe I was just like, so traumatized that I like, couldn't take it. Or he anymore. had to pivot but because <laughs> that's kind of what I think, like I think he just, I think he just pivoted and then like kind of went along that course, maybe for a couple more minutes. I definitely like, have- back up was in youth ministry enough and had been to enough, <laughs> enough camps and retreat things where like youth pastors do these outrageous things to get people's attention, but they don't actually make any sense. And so mm-hmm. it could have been that situation where it's like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot out. of different, like, <laughs> gotcha. But, like, but I well, don't actually have a point before click fate, but that's a, that's a pretty intense, probably took a lot of time to set up for yeah. <laughs> and taught me zero things about the gospel taught me zero things no, about very terrifying the actual person of Jesus <laughs> yes yes no that was a great example of like two different types of different two different types of telling a story for different audiences like what what it, they're both truth telling yeah exactly and it's like some truth telling it is not going to be appropriate for certain people Mm-hmm. based on not because it's, the truth is unimportant but because the context might not be appropriate or safe to handle it exactly yeah and then even sometimes when telling the truth isn't going to do any good at all and mm-hmm. no story yeah. no story yeah. or take story elsewhere not no story find another place for it well that was cool have you had yeah just anything else that you wanted to share with folks about storytelling how storytelling might help navigate an experience of abuse you know I really think there are a lot of folks who both 
who have experienced abuse and those who, who maybe don't have a history or background with abuse, who can really convince themselves that like they don't have a story. Mm. And like, that's just never true. Mm-hmm. Like I'll often encounter folks who are like, oh, I don't really have any stories to tell or like my life isn't really that exciting or nothing big really happens. And those are just like not the things that make a story. Like in that example I gave, like that was a big thing that happened. But a story is like anything in any part of your experience and stories are everywhere. And so for anyone who has any degree of of experience being spiritually abused, like your, your story does matter and you, you do have a story, whether or not you think you do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just like, there are going to be places where that story can be honored, even if that's not the space that you necessarily find yourself in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like the story you shared was a pretty, I mean, it's just an event, just like one thing that happened in life and every person has <laughs> hundreds of thousands of moments like that with different characters coming in and out and that create experiences for us. And so, yeah, those stories are, everyone does. I absolutely agree with you. Well, cool. I appreciate it. Well, thanks. This is fun. It was fun. I was, I'm thinking when we have our, our community, our online community, I want to do like monthly workshops and just, yeah, just monthly workshops. So I have a friend who's a, a dance and trauma therapist and I want her to come in and do like a dance workshop and oh, it would be really cool, cool idea. to you, you come and do a story, story workshop oh, for, how fun. for people. Yeah. All kinds of modalities. Oh, that's really cool. So I'll keep you in mind when that happens. Who knows? Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thanks for having it. me. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.